Welcome back to the 5x59 podcast. Uh, my name is Tommy Tribble. My name is Ram Reyes. What's up, y'all? We're back. How's it going? Yo, and California didn't burn down all the way. We're still here. We're still recording. I know, the sky is blue, which is Look good. at God. For now, didn't you say it was going to get bad Wednesday again? The, yeah, it's going to come back. Well, uh, you, you know. know. I'm enjoying the blue sky. We're enjoying the blue sky. We're also enjoying our guest, very special guest today. Um, she is a candidate for the Central Unified Trustee Area 6. Uh, Stacey Williams, thank you so much for joining us. Also, com- a longtime community organizer and activist a long-time community organizer. in the community. Welcome, Stacey. Yes. Hi, welcome. I'm, I mean, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm usually doing the interviewing, oh. so I'm all- <laughs> This is the first time a guest has ever welcomed us, so I appreciate that. <laughs> You're very welcomed in my own podcast. But no, it's so wonderful to have you here. So wonderful. Uh, yeah, how are you doing? Just want to, you know. I am exhausted, guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't probably describe it any other way than, you know, working full time, um, mm. running my campaign <clears throat> and um, also sort of still doing my advocacy work in the community it just seems to be full time lately. So I have to say I'm, I'm tired. It's a lot of work. Maybe I'm just maybe people who don't realize it when people run for office, I keep forgetting that like, oh, yeah, you guys still have like regular jobs. <laughs> that's uh, real i was like yeah. i forgot you guys do that like i forget that like dari like dari Razvani, who's on the podcast before i was like oh yeah he has like fully has like a car business mm-hmm. and i was yeah. like he still does that while on top of doing all this running stuff. is like really expensive and costly and difficult for <laughs> really it is people. and people don't realize that we're like we're, we literally have full-time jobs now some people are career politicians and that's what they do but yeah. a lot of regular people we have regular jobs and and you know regular bosses and and still sort of have to do day-to-day stuff like everybody else damn that's insane i could listen i could not like i'm just like a student and i do this and that's like and work and that's like exhausting enough like i can't imagine like founding a campaign crazy what, what how do you how did you even get into it like what what made you decide to run so I've been an activist and organizer and um, advocate for, like we said, many years, probably, you know, 10 to 15 years. And people have always said, well, when are you going to run? When are you going to run? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no, that's just not my thing. I'm like down here, boots on the ground. You know, this is what I do. And so I really just never thought that I would run for political office. Um, and, and so as things changed and evolved over time, I realized that like lately, especially, um, we need more leaders. We need more advocates. We need more moms. We need more regular people. I like to say, um, in office, uh, making decisions because especially like with this whole thing that happened last year with Fresno Unified and stuff, I just realized that, we need more of us in office making decisions on the well-being of our children. Yeah, for the people who don't know what that thing that happened was, that was with Terry Sladek, right? The yeah, well, yeah, well, actually kind of how it started is the blackface incident. Mm-hmm, I don't yep. know if you guys remember that. How yeah, I remember so that. That was on my Facebook and it went viral. Yeah. In about two hours, I think we went nationwide. And so I hadn't really realized how crazy a post could just go in a couple of hours where my son is like, you're on Snapchat. And I said, I don't have a Snapchat. 
<laughs> and he's like, um, now you're on Twitter. And I was like, I don't have a Twitter. <laughs> and so it was, I know, call me old, but it was kind of funny. <laughs> I was like, wait, hold on. I don't even, you know, it's it just, it's a perfect example of some, you don't know what you put out there and, and where it's going to go. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that situation is really what led to Sladek, right. Is we got in really discussing the blackface incident, the cheerleaders, um, the lack of accountability um, and the racism that, that was really happening on that Bullard campus. And and so Terry Sladek is the response to the community's you know, advocating for justice. So basically what you'll see happen in systems like this that are really rooted in racism and white privilege is that Terry Sladek is just a, you know, a result or yeah, sort of a, a symptom. Yeah, he's just a symptom of what the problem is because there was already the problem and we were already dealing with it. And so sort of he's just sort of like one of those things that comes out, you know, sort of like a sickness from from the root of really what's going on. Um, And so he really acted crazy because we were really in there trying to say there should be some accountability to the girls that did the blackface. And the Mm -hmm. school was saying, no, there's no accountability. There's no nothing that we're going to do. And then when we kept pushing, he kind of stood up and said, hey, you guys are going to stop talking about this or else. (laughs) Wow. Mm hmm. Or else what? What are you going to do? <laughs> well, you know, he said or else is kind of crazy because he, he had already physically assaulted a, a child. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, like, I forgot what he did. But... Yeah, he grabbed the kid's backpack and tossed him around. Oh, my he God. Had a physical altercation with the Army recruiter on campus. He had already gotten to an altercation with the wrestling coach on campus. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's uh, all, all people of color. Um, the And so, you know, he had been very assaultive and aggressive to all of them. So he had a history of really being aggressive and in the military and not that all people are in the military, but he just came with this guns blazing kind of attitude. And then when he goes into the cheer team by that time, but he goes in and tell, talks to the cheer club girls. I mean, he's already had this history of aggressiveness and assaulting. And so you can imagine they're scared, right? He comes in, they're sitting on the ground on their mats and he's towering over them, yelling and screaming, you know, they had to call the police at some point because there was literal girls in tears crying, scared. (laughs) And, you know, it takes a lot for me to feel bad for cheerleaders who did blackface, but like, I feel a little bad. So (laughs) that's something. (laughs) I mean, here's the thing, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, and not all the cheerleaders in there did it, but you know, it's mm-hmm. still, them were just sort of like sitting in there um, going, what the heck's happening? And it was interesting. So since you say that, uh, it was interesting to see them all of a sudden say, wow, Terry Sladek shouldn't have done this, right? It was almost like the straw that brought the camels back where they actually said, oh, wait, this is wrong, you know, um, where I think before when it was just the blackface incident, I don't know how upset everybody was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know how that goes. Right. And so, and just for the people who don't like know much about it, like what happened, what, what happened after that? Like what were the consequences? Like what, and how did you get involved in all of that? Yeah. So what happened in the beginning was somebody had sent me the video and said that the, that a mother had sent this to the school. She went to the vice principal. She went to Bob Nelson and she wasn't getting any help. And so as an advocate, people come to me and ask me for help. So can you advocate? Can you help for us? And so I had to verify that it was correct and true. And then it was and that the school had been notified. And I kind of go through all my boundaries and things that I sort of do. 
And, um, and so then when we did it, we said, why is this, this, this girl not being um, held accountable for her actions? Right. And then we realized that her parents had some privilege in the community, that they had some ties, that they were rather wealthy, that they had donated a lot of money and time. Her mother was on the board of the cheerleaders. So, you know, connectivity in Fresno, uh, you know, white elite wealth, there's class and race that happen, right? So they happen to be white and have money. And so really what happened was this little girl who, the African-American girl who had turned this in basically had been kicked off the, the team. Well, she didn't make the team. Now that she had brought this up, she had been a cheerleader before and she tried out and she didn't make the team because she had posted a stink about it and said, you know, and one of the vice principals had said, um, oh, well, I don't think that's racist, mm-hmm. the blackface. <laughs> I don't know what upset. And so we have a level of intolerance. And then she actually, that same vice principal went and showed that went and talked to the little girl and her mom and said, Oh, I just want you to know that, um, you know, Maya turned you in and gave her the name of the little girl who turned her in. So then that black girl got in trouble, right? Because all the kids were like, Oh, you turned in the video. So then she got harassed and she had to go on home studies. So she was pushed out of her education system, taken off the cheerleading all because she reported a racist incident, right? Mm -hmm. That the school would not ever, uh, there was no, never any accountability. The girls never um, had any, anything for what happened. Wow. Well, I was, I was going to say that's in, that's in Fresno Unified, but I was going to say, how are you going to make sure that doesn't happen in Central Unified? Oh, it's going to happen, right? It's going to happen. We, we have to acknowledge that this kind of stuff is going to happen. My hope is that if I am in and more people like me are in positions of, of, elected officials that we can make sure that things like this can be halted quickly. Right. And mm-hmm. that we can get in and take action that's appropriate and advise administration, advise the superintendent, advise the principals of what real, you know, diversity and inclusion, what real racism looks like, help them to identify it and call it out when it happens. Cause it's going to happen. We just had one yeah, of our, exactly. uh, we just had Richard a. Atkins, which was a school board for nope, central university. Yep. It's to go back to their own country. Yeah. I mean, he resigned and his seat is open, but what I'm saying is it's going to happen. You guys, yeah, I, I'm not going to say that it won't, cause I'm going to tell you it's going to happen in central, just like it's in Fresno. My hope is that if I am there and more people like me are there, that we can help address these issues internally and make systems changes because the system of education in, in, a broad stroke is racist, right? We have to admit we cannot move forward if we don't, especially people that look like me, right? Women that look like me need to sit here and say it is a racist system. So it's not just Fresno Unified or Central Unified. It's really the system. And so what we have to do is start having more of us in the system so that we can help to enact change when it does happen, right? Instead mm-hmm. of fighting from the outside, which is what I've been doing for the last 10 or 15 years, my hope is to get in and say, okay, these are some of the things that we need to do. I mean, one of the big things, you guys, is, is literacy rates in our mm-hmm. essential, and that's one of the things I know we're going to get on, but like it, it, African-American kids have one of the lowest literacy rates in our district, Right. Um, Special needs kids, foster youth, homeless. Right. Those are the top four. So when I say class and race, it's 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 dual. Right. It's it's going both ways. I mean, you know, you can't be poor and black, you know, or poor and Latino or poor and immigrant, because those are like, you know, you're just you're going to it's just you're not going to get the same quality and equity and education that other kids get. Yeah. Yeah. Tommy and I were talking about how we kind of talk to a lot of school board people uh or the people who are running 
Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like not a lot of people think about that stuff or like, you know, a lot of people are kind of focused on the big elections, mm-hmm. like, you know, presidential. And uh, we, uh, well, part of why we want to talk to you is just to, you know, kind of highlight people running to change the system. And also yeah. within Fresno or just like in Central Valley, like I feel like school board or like the school districts are just such a big thing around this area because typically Fresno, a lot of people cite they want to move to Fresno because it's like cheaper for housing and which in turn is like schools are like a big issue. Mm-hmm. Like actually this is kind of like, this is reminding me that I think my mom said it or she mentioned it to me. They're like, oh, well, if you move to Fresno, make sure to go to Clovis Unified because that's like the good district. Right, right. I went to Clovis Unified. And, and there's a lot of other issues happening right now within Clovis Unified. And it's kind of interesting to see all these issues popping up within our school districts, you know, around our area, which is why it's important to like, I guess, to really highlight. Or people just don't really think about like, oh, how can we change this? Which we can or like running for these seats. Right. They think of the school board as just like, the school board, this like separate entity that just like exists, but it's actually made up of like people and you can actually run for it and become, you know, a part of it. And I think that's just really important to highlight, which is why I'm glad we've had like multiple school board candidates on the pod at this point and hope to have more. Um, but like as far as Fresno, like it's a very like in many ways still racially segregated area. And we do have these school districts that seem to be a lot better off by all metrics. What what causes that and how can we change it? <laughs> Ooh, do we have enough time? Uh, <laughs> I was like, it can be a two hour pod. It can be a two hour pod. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you didn't know when you had me on. <laughs> this, the racist segregation in Fresno in the yep. Central Valley really goes back to redlining, mm-hmm. uh, the Mason Dixie, um, the, the KKK roots that came here, um, the ag. Um, just so much like you can go back so much in history and see it but if we want to talk about currently right now I was trying to explain someone to Fresno about Fresno because I was saying you know 93706 is one of our the most heavily polluted toxic zip codes in the state Mm -hmm. right and that that's environmental racism right we we know that that's part of segregation that's part of zoning that's part of redlining like all of these things go into having the most heavily polluted zip code in the whole state and then to say that that zip code is also the most impoverished, right? Poverty in that zip code is, right? So there's no money. So we talk about class and race because I'm going to keep saying it. It's just, it's one of those things that that are intersectional. And, And those sort of policies and procedures that are put in place segregate the city. Segregation's huge. I mean, I remember my great grandfather saying when the signs turn brown, turn around, right? Yeah, somebody said that to me. Or I didn't know about that. Uh, I didn't know about that saying until somebody told me like, oh, what? what is that? <laughs> yeah. So, so I, so I, my great grandfather says that, right. That's, that's wow. five generations ago that my great grandfather, now he's a short little Italian man that had came here to pick. Right. So back then he wasn't like some 
you know, wealthy white guy. I mean, mm-hmm. I come from, you know, poor immigrant Italian, you know, and, and he picked in the fields, right? And he said, we don't go over there because they don't like us. When the signs turn brown, we, it's dangerous over there. And so we have to stay on this side, right? Now, he didn't know that five generations later that I would look the way I look, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, he was a short little Italian guy and he was very dark and picked in the field. And he said, we don't go over there. And that's the same thing when you have, you know, I have African-American children. So I tell, I have said that to my black children don't go to Clovis you know when those signs turn brown turn around it's dangerous for you over there and and that's something that we live with to say you can't drive over there I've told my kids when they were in high school if there's a party in Clovis you are not allowed to go because if there's only one black kid in the whole party and it's you guess what happens regardless if you're doing anything wrong you're in Clovis and you're black yeah I mean, we have to be realistic with those sort of things that really happen in our in our county right now today. That's I was thinking about this a lot because I've been following some of the close unified stuff and I had this conversation with somebody. I feel like I was very insulated from that as like I as I went to like Clovis East and Mm -hmm. because I did like AP classes and, you know, it's like smart kids. Like mm-hmm. they they definitely treated their, allegedly. their yeah <laughs> allegedly as I turned out to be not that sort of no but uh it's I I don't know it feels like and then and I've heard like my black friends who go who went to Clovis Unified and they talked about that and I was like wow I just felt like I was like very it's like what well, I was like just like blind to it I guess like I didn't realize what like yeah. I just felt like because I was like in AP classes where they like all the teachers treated us better. Mm-hmm. They just like, oh yeah, this is not happening to you. But then I was like, oh fuck, that was actually that was definitely happening, and I didn't realize it until like I got out of it, and then I started yeah. hearing all the stories. It was just insane, and just like the clo- like I've lived in Columbus for so long. I mean, I don't really leave the house, but I just dude, that sign thing is still like when somebody told me that, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Like no, I didn't real. realize what that meant. Yeah. And it's been a conversation that we've had for generations and we haven't stopped it. Right. It's still going on today. You Mm -hmm. still, you know, will tell them um, not to go over there. Damn. Well, if I, if I throw a party, rest assured that they'll be safe. (laughs) 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 Not that we encourage underage people to come to our parties. Oh, no, not underage. I'm talking about your, your, uh, Stacey's, uh, children. My kids are older. older Gotcha. Gotcha. I didn't know how old. <laughs> no, yeah, no, but 25, 23, and 20, just on the yeah, record. Yeah, no, no, that's what I meant because I've, I've seen your children on like Twitter and stuff, and we've interacted. So I was like, they could come over. I like, actually went to um, Central West Campus, so I'm actually really excited you're here because wow. I have a I have a personal stake in the issue. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah and our campuses are um, at least the one I went to was like very colorful and very diverse. And I actually also went to AP classes, and I saw the same kinds of divisions where it was like smaller class sizes, although perhaps more colorful than the Clovis, uh, you know, uh, counterpart would have been. But like what do we i mean what do we do to make like regular classrooms like more equitable for everyone like it just seems like the constant problem 
Yeah, I know. We, you know, we have to get, we have to increase funding. We have to get smaller class sizes. Um, we have Prop 15 that's coming on yep. the um, state ballot in November. And I'm advocating for that because we always need to get more money for schools. Um, and when we start negotiating budgets, we really have to negotiate smaller class sizes. Uh, that just has to be something that we do. Um, and in and, and so many different ways, we have to be able to provide social emotional support. We have to be able to provide smaller class sizes, um, aids. You know, sometimes people ask me, the teachers union ask me, how would I get smaller class sizes? I go, well, we need to get more funding, right? And we're mm-hmm. always going to be doing that. And then secondly, we need to, if we can't hire more teachers right off the bat, right, because funding can come in, we need to also give some of the teachers that have 45 kids in the class an aid, right? So yeah. that, that they have some help and some, and that might be that balance and compromise where maybe we can't hire 500 teachers, but can we hire 250 and then 250 aides, you know, and how can we like sort of balance that budget wise? Because there are going to be some compromises, Um, but that's where school boards come in. School boards come in because they literally vote and help with budgeting. We are, we, we should be working with the teachers union. We should be working with the state. We should be working with the county and should be making partnerships everywhere to try to see if we can reduce class sizes. Right. And we already uh, brought up like literacy, but uh, I kind of want to like delve deeper into that because obviously literacy is like a constant, you know, social upkeep that we have to do to keep our society running. And obviously, um, like you brought up, um, you know, some communities of students have that uh, greater difficulty with literacy. And how how are we going to you know be able to bridge that gap? and, And how can you help Central Unified bridge that gap? So there has to be two approaches. I don't have all the answers, but I think there has to be a proactive and a reactive response, right? Mm-hmm. So reactively, we have to do an assessment and say, where are children now, right? Where, and we have to focus. If we just focus on these four groups that I just told you right now, and we said, we're going to do something the next four years line in office to take these four groups of kids and say, we're going to reactively test, assess, and see how we can help them to catch up from where they're behind now, right? Then we can do that. I mean, some of these groups groups are hundreds of kids, maybe a thousand kids. And if we really focus on that and we say these kids are important and somebody highlights them and champions for them, that's what we can do reactively, right? When I first get into office, how can we do it? And and some of that's going to be tutoring. I I think there needs to be a bigger... you know, partnership with the county. There's lots of nonprofit orgs that would come in and help and do tutoring and read to kids after school. There's plenty of Fresno City kids that would come in that are in teaching programs. Fresno State has the kids that are there. I mean, why don't we bridge these youth that are in all of these things and, and start saying, why don't we make broad partnerships to help literacy? And, and that would be reading to kids and tutoring after school. Um, and that's the reactive. Also reactively, we also need to say, what are the challenges at home that that are a barrier to those literacy rates, right? So English language learners know that their parents have trouble you know, helping them read in English, right? Mm-hmm. Then, then what are we doing to help support the parents? Because mm-hmm. we need to help them too, right? Because this is a holistic approach. And sometimes we just look at the kids and we don't say, can we also help the parents? right? Mm -hmm. Do the parents want help? Do they want to learn to read in English? Do they want to come once a week? Could we have a parent night where we help parents read? Because maybe some parents don't read, right? And that's a real 
real thing. And instead of shaming them, why don't we look at saying we love you? We know that that the importance of your student being successful is you being successful, right? Mm-hmm. And make some of those partnerships reactively. And that that's after the fact. Now, proactively, you know, we can start going into kindergarten, pre-K, and start saying, how can we really focus on those four groups, right, ahead of time and start taking a chunk of them and saying, what can we do to really help those four groups proactively and start in pre-K, kindergarten? Because we know by third grade, they do a lot of assessments in third grade to say, what is your literacy rate by third grade, right? Mm -hmm. So we really have to get in there at pre-K and start doing the reading groups. Um, I love the things where we've seen teachers read at night and do a live feed and and read books to their kids, right? Because maybe the parents can't. You know, and that is really sweet. And so we can do stuff like that. We can put it on the public television. You know, if people don't have internet, then we can put it on PBS and say, can we have, you know, an hour every night for our teachers to read to our students? We have to get creative and think outside the box, right? There's there's so many ways that I think we can get creative and find ways to increase reading. Uh, Libraries, libraries are closed all around. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but like libraries are closing everywhere. And if we're defunding anything, we should not be defunding libraries and books. Definitely. You know, so I mean, that's the part that is so frustrating, I think, for um, me is saying if we're going to take money away, why are we taking money away from reading and books for our kids? Yeah, definitely. I'm just like reading, reading heart. I don't know if you know them, but is it reading heart? Um, there's uh, the little girl who actually has takes all the books everywhere around, and she's trying to work on I- increasing literacy rates. Um, she's an oh, awesome. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Her, her dad does all the big, you know, trucks and stuff, and they get book donations. I mean. I can't imagine them not saying no to coming in and saying, what can we do to help increase literacy rates? Why are we not making partnerships with people like that that are already doing this? Make sure all of our kids have books and everybody's reading. So I think me being a community organizer across the county with nonprofits and and Fresno State and Fresno City and stuff, I think we can come up with some creative ways to work it. You know, even if we don't have money, I mean, I'm granted I'm advocating for more money, but I know the budgets are always tight. So we also have to look at creativity. What can we do? Wow, that you've given us a lot here. Um, (laughs) But I, you know, I'm I'm actually really um, happy to hear you uh, seize on the fact that like parents need support too, because I think that's a really forgotten dimension of this. Because, like you pointed out earlier, a lot of this is class and race issues. So some of these parents are working one, two jobs, like you know they don't have time, and then they have to cook and clean and keep the house up. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a big ask to on top of that. Say also, we need you to you know read to your kids, make sure that they can read well, all of this. And then on top of that, you have the coronavirus um, and where they're effectively the principal, the teacher, you know, everything in a school now is the parents. So, you know, I'm glad you brought up supporting parents. Well, because I think like, I mean, you have to... I had very poor parents, right? And so my mom was never sitting at home reading to me. That was just not ever going to happen. We have to understand that if you live in poverty, whatever race you have, because we, I said those are two separate things, um, you know, that parents are working two or three jobs, you know, sometimes they're just barely surviving. Fresno has a 26% concentrated poverty rate, right? Which means 26% of our people live under the poverty rate. And, and the ones that are just above, trust me, there's probably, probably another 25 that are just above poverty rate right? Like just barely scraping by. So you can't expect those parents. And a lot of people say, oh, it starts at home. It starts at home. You need to blame the parents. And I'm going, okay, but we've created a system that really fails them, right? They know living 
wages, no time off, you know, I mean, no health care. I mean, yeah, all I of the things that we've exacerbated that people are working their asses off, literally, and sorry, but, you know, and, and then you also want to say to them, oh, you're supposed to sit down for an hour every night and read and tutor your kids. Like, yeah. that, that, you know, it's just, it's just insurmountable to say what we put on people. And it's really simple to say that when you're wealthy and you live on the North side of town mm -hmm. and you have clean air and clean water and great jobs and great access to healthcare. And, you know, all of these things, education is right down the street. Right. And all of those things are really great to throw stones, but when you live in it and you're actually there, it's, it's hard. We got to give parents more support. We really do. They need to be part of the solution. Yeah. A lot of people just don't realize that. A lot of the systems in our society, in our society, but that, you know, it just, if you're somebody who's lower, like working class and you're just busy doing, like trying to survive, uh, you're not going to have time to like take care of your kids. And that's just because like, like you said, there's no healthcare, like all the policies that doesn't relate anything to a school board, but just like in politics at large, uh, they just sort of affect everybody. and then. A lot of people just kind of blame like, oh, that's a individual failing on your part as a parent for doing that when in actuality, there's so many other constraints that like you're obviously doing it for your ch children, but like, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? All these policies that we have are working against them. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that whole analogy that's pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of thing, right? That Yeah reason why you're not where you should be is because your lack of hard work. And I think we should all know just now that some of the hardest working people we know are the immigrants that are picking in the fields during yeah, fires exactly. and, and 110 temperatures. And don't tell me that they're not at a better place because they don't work hard <laughs> because yeah. that is the rock of shit I will ever say any day. Like, yeah. don't tell me that those people are not working hard, right? And say that, oh, if they just worked harder, they could attain the dream. Bullshit. Like, yeah, that's exactly. <clears throat> and so I, I wholeheartedly believe in that we have systems and structures that are set up to make it more difficult for certain people. Because mm. that's, yeah, that's really the thing. Like, the problem is they have to work too hard to get even half as far as, you know, these people who are living in these really nice areas with every advantage and mm -hmm. it's um it's really sad but it's it's good at least that we have people like you who are you know thinking about these things and trying to get involved um and i actually read on your website kind of about restorative justice and um mm -hmm. how sort of uh, and i was kind of aware of this like how basically black kids and latino kids are more likely to be suspended or expelled than mm -hmm. um their white counterparts uh and I just, but I do, I do want to ask, like, what is, what is the alternative then? What is restorative justice? How can we change, like alter that course? Yeah. So it segues into literacy because the same groups that we were just talking about, or most of them do have higher expulsion and suspension rates. So when you take kids out of class, literacy rates drop. And we know that kids are suspended and expelled in, in kindergarten, in first grade, right? We, we just had a law that passed that, that said that you cannot suspend and expel kids in California for defiance, right? Um, and we did that because we fought for the sort of things, just like I'm saying, is you can't, I had, I had a kid, I advocated for in Stockton who had gotten suspended and expelled. Um, he had went to get a drink. He was a Latino kid, went to get a drink of water without permission. And she suspended him. What the fuck? <laughs> I 
<laughs> when you see these in real time and you actually see the documentation, you see that kids in kindergarten have zip ties around their wrists. And then you ask, why are they being zip tied? And they say, well, they were, um, you know, talking in class. Or, Do we zip tie kids for talking in class? Like, this is what <laughs> we start into kids. And so I think people don't really understand what's happening in these schools. The suspension and expulsion rates are really high. And that is because we have increased um, funding for police um, Mm -hmm. on campus. And then we have defunded social emotional support and teachers, right? So they've actually paralleled together because what you did is you've seen $9 million, $10 million going to police on campus. And then you say, but we don't have teachers and we have 45 kids in a class. Well, then how do you expect 45 kids to be unruly, and I'm, I'm, I know you can't see me, I'm putting air quotes on yeah, because unruly, quote, unruly. Is, is air quotes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, unruly, she has 41 teacher, 45 kids, right? They're, they've been in class all day, eight hours. Some of them don't have food. Some of them have all these distractions that are going on. They could be sick, they could be tired, they could whatever, right? And so then we, but then we give money to police to suspend and expel them. And so that's really that's not nice. what education should be about. And I, I've seen it. I saw my own son have the, the, you know, whatever the officers, SROs on campus called on him because he asked his teacher why he was getting bad Apple points taken away. So when I called her, she says, well, don't you think that was intimidating that he walked to my desk and asked me a question? <laughs> and I said, uh, what? <laughs> okay. And I said, so him coming to your desk and asking you a question was intimidating? And she says, yes. And so, I, so yes, he's six foot three and he's a black boy. Is that what's intimidating to you? Because then we have a problem here. Now you're calling an SRO on a kid who asked you a question that you didn't want to answer as a white woman at Edison. Right. So these are the systemic problems that we have to say there is solutions, because to be honest, you guys, I would say 95 percent of suspension expulsions are for little things like go asking a question to your teacher, um, going to the restroom without permission, uh, you know, blah, blah. All the lists are, Mm. are minimal. Right. Typically, you will only find if you look at data reports on policing on campus, the police typically only have one percent of actual events that 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 would be prosecutable. Right. So one percent. So meaning like actually where they have to actually say, okay, I have to write a ticket or I have to prosecute or there's some sort of offense. Right. Ninety nine percent of everything that cops do on campus are really over policing black and brown and poor students. It really is special needs, foster youth, homeless youth, black youth, um, immigrant youth. That Ninety nine percent of what they do is over policing them for minor behavior issues that are Eurocentered that are really, really Euro-centered on what we have as what we think culture should be for kids on campus. And yeah. it's, it's really ineffective. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, I'll give you an example of restorative justice. Okay. In a friend, okay. So there was a, a girl, the same teacher. So I'm just going to tell you, <laughs> you, you're getting the FYI information. That's Honestly, you can name names. We're all about naming names. Yeah, that, that same teacher on campus, that woman, she, I complained about her, about my son and pulled my son out of Edison and pulled him out of the school in together and sent him back to Central because he had went to Central his whole life and one year went to Edison and I had to pull him out and bring him back to Central. So he goes there that one year. I complained about the teacher and, and her, her things. Well, two years later, she's that same teacher that got ousted for saying the N word in her math class. I'm sure you guys saw it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, 
surprise, surprise, wow. there's an email where I requested my son to get pulled out of her class for racism two years before that all came out. But nobody would listen because, of course, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, yeah, so she's the one that said the N-word, all right? So I was really upset because I said, if you would have listened to me before, right? If you would have listened to me two years before and we could have had some sort of conversation with her about racism, unpacked her implicit bias and, you know, explicit bias that she has, we could have helped the trauma that ensued a couple of years later. So what, what they like to do is they call it a restorative circle. And this little girl has to sit in a room with this teacher while she unpacks her racism. Yeah. So how is it that this that kids in our system have to sit with their abusers or their traumatizers or their oppressors, whoever it is, right? Mm -hmm. People in power and position over them while they talk about why and how they're racist. And the kid has to sit there and listen to it. That's re-traumatizing right now. Is that little girl ever going to want to speak up against a teacher saying the N-word again? Because now she just had to sit there and go through this whole thing with her and it's re-traumatizing for her. The little girl who, who submitted the blackface incident, do you think she's going to want to go to a principal with that kind of traumatizing event if they look at her and say that's not racist? And then they go tell the white girl who did it. And then she comes and, and, and hurts her. Like, it's just a system that just constantly is not restorative. What should happen is that teacher should be set aside away from that child, right? That child should not have to be in the same room. You don't get, if you hurt, you wouldn't put someone in the room with their rapist, mm -hmm. right? So why do we put the, our children in the same room with these people who have literally assaulted them racially, right? And, and hurt them and traumatize them because it is a traumatizing thing that happens to them. And I think that Fresno Unified, Central Unified, any, any school district does not really think that racial um, racism is traumatizing. They, they, don't, they don't treat it like it's a problem. They don't mm -hmm. treat it like it's social and emotionally devastating on these kids and that it affects how they learn in the future and they don't put enough emphasis on it. It needs to be more sort of these, these teachers need to have tracking systems. How many times have you had a racist incident in your class? There's no tracking for it, just so you know. And the tracking is not made public. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I, I, mean, I could go on and on, you guys. It's just, yeah. They should have a. Oh, it's fascinating. Uh, they should have a sign that says, This classroom has had X amount of days since the last, last racist incident. Racist incident. <laughs> but right? Miss Homegrown on Edison, it would just say zero every day. <laughs> <laughs> it was yesterday. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, I, will, I mean, I will, hey. I but, oh, go ahead, Ram. Sorry. No, sorry. Uh, this one's just kind of more of a joke. <laughs> more of a I was going to ask really quick about, um, like, so racist teachers, like, I, I, from what I understand, there's been some research that, like, implicit bias training isn't that effective. I don't know much about it, but I have been to some implicit bias trainings, um, and they seem... Are you Fine, okay. but you know, not not. <laughs> I, I mean, work. I don't know. For me, it was very like you know, uh, you know, uh, the very much the basics, very much elementary stuff. And I, you know, with my coworkers at that training, it, I, I did, to me, it didn't seem like the light bulb went off and suddenly they understood systemic racism and the role we're all playing in keeping it going. Um, what do we? So, like, what do we do about racist teachers? Like, you know, do we just start firing people? Like. Is implicit bias training effective? Like what, what, what's the T? So, so I can't, <clears throat> here's the problem with being a person who 
wants restorative practices done because then when I say that I need to have restorative practices done everywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I can't be a hypocrite and say, I want restorative justice done for children and not have it for teachers too, because Mm -hmm. I do believe that they should have some restorative stuff done as well. Right. If teachers are still consistently harming our children, then we have to take them out of the situation. However, I do want to give them a chance and hopefully give them some tools to read and research and learn. This is going to be a long thing. You're right. You can't do an implicit bias training for even one hour and think that that's going to undo 20, 30, 40 years of systemic racism that Mm. you've been taught over generations of your family. It's just not going to happen. I consistently do it myself, right? I have to check myself even and say, I think that I'm a pretty, uh, you know, inclusive, sensitive person. Right. And, and I can still make mistakes. There's things yep. still things that I need to read and I still need to work constantly to unpack what the programming that has been done to me in white America, being a middle-class white woman, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's there. And if we don't <clears throat> constantly want to read and learn and heal and try to make it better, one class isn't going to help it. It's a constant thing. What the problem is we don't put money and funding into it. So we think that we're going to do one test or one hour or one lecture and that that's going to fix it all because it checks a box. And so right now what we're doing is we're checking boxes. We're not really delving into really wanting to, to get into change and change is going to be lengthy, right? I think that teachers back to teaching. Let's go when they're at college, when they're back in like at Fresno city and Fresno state and other colleges, right. Are they getting that implicit bias training, cultural uh, competency, uh, diversity, inclusion, um, learning about other cultures. Are they getting that? Because I would love to see them start with that. Right. I would also love us to see ethnic studies just got passed and we're all going to start teaching it because I think it's important for kids in high school to have to have ethnic studies before they move forward. And then if you are learning, about other cultures in high school and then you go into college and you learn it and then you keep learning and unlearning right learning the new stuff and the positive stuff and unlearning the bullshit like columbus like yeah. we unlearn that bullshit right and then relearn what indigenous people look like and what that looks like and what that training looks like and so it's constantly unlearning the crap and then relearning what's real and just and it's constant it should never be over I never want to sit here and say I'm the most white woke white person you'll ever know and that I'm dope and I have learned it all because that's not freaking true yeah. like I'm constantly have to learn and unpack what's been taught to me and so I think we have to talk about it as a lifelong thing and not just a class and a checkbox and then we have to put in things like ethnic studies and classes and learning and unlearning so much ingrained into our system that maybe that next generation of people are going to be a little bit better than we were right And, and then also the teachers that proactive reactive thing just like I said proactively that's what I'd like to do reactively those teachers that have done those things need to have way more than one class in one restorative session. They really need to sit down and do some reading and some unpacking. They need to maybe have a coach or a mentor. They need to, to go to some ethnic studies classes themselves. They might need to have a black friend. No, I'm just kidding. That was sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe have, maybe have, have them write an essay or something. 
<laughs> exactly. You know, like, I mean, you know, all of these things, um, like there's so many ideas and thoughts that we can do. And, and a lot of it is a white people calling out other white people when it happens and not allowing it to keep going forward. And that's where I get a lot of hate, right. Um, is because I call it out when I see it, they mm -hmm. don't like people that look like me to call it out and to say, that's not right. That's racism. And you need to stop. They don't like that either, but it needs to happen. Mm -hmm. There needs to be more of us that are calling out. There needs to be more teachers that look at their curriculum and say, this is racist curriculum. When the curriculum says that African-Americans migrated voluntarily oh. from Africa to America, why doesn't a teacher look at that and say, bull fucking shit? Yeah. Why do they teach that? A lot of like our history, like lessons are just wrong. Like I yeah. feel like really uh, kind of like, remember like yeah the pilgrims did not have dinner with the <laughs> indigenous people shout um, out to mr martin who said the civil war was fought over rice and economics wait, yeah rice? shout out to him yeah what shout out to hell? him at central west i'm sure you're doing great <laughs> shout out to him <laughs> yeah there's a lot of like just like u.s history is just like fucked up or like I don't know, like Manifest Destiny. You guys remember Manifest Destiny? That's an insane. I like, do. <laughs> like that's an insane like idea to teach uh, people. Like yeah, you know, the white people are just like it's our destiny to just conquer all the way to, to the West Coast. I was like, that's insane, and I, I didn't realize that at the time. I'm like yeah, you guys are right. Like this sounds okay. I guess <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not white, but sure, I want to get a good grade. So whatever, I'll write whatever you guys want. And uh, I, I feel like we could talk AP, about... I ace that AP US history test. He got that five out of five. He got those credits. I, I got a four. Oh. <laughs> I, got I can four. do I can do a push. I, I did world and I and I really messed that one up. And I just said, I'll take a break from history. If there's any history. high schoolers listening to this. Yeah, don't hope, take any classes, Yeah, by don't the way. Not, do not. It's not worth it, dude. Like... I feel like I had most of my mental breakdowns in AP classes. Now they have uh, FCC everywhere and stuff like that. You can just take community yeah. college classes directly. Dude. Although, actually, Stacey, what do you think of AP classes? Yeah, what do you think of AP classes? Yeah. Gosh. I yeah, think it's I classes, dude. Classes. I think it's totally classes. Yeah, it's just not yeah it's not the right thing i mean for one it is classist and then you'll also notice there's fees that yeah, are charged yes it's insane and so this is just another way that poor people are disenfranchised mm -hmm. from equal education yeah i'm like how the f why do i have to pay for a test but then i kind of went along with it because like like yeah my parents want me to do good in school and this is how you do good in school meanwhile college board is laughing their way to the bank just, just please like, why punch. am i paying for uh, paying to fail and i took <laughs> seven ap paying classes and guys this is a personal aside uh in junior year of high school i took like six ap wait no five ap classes just so i could be in the same class as my crush Oh my God. Worst decision <laughs> of my life, guys. Do oh not. First of all, don't take AP classes. And second of all, don't like. Take your, it because of a cute girl. Don't, yeah, don't do, do that. Not, do not do it. You're just going to. Oh gonna my God. Just lose your mind. And also, honestly, AP classes are way harder than like college classes. I've never they worked are. so hard in my life and I never have since then. 
I'm just like they are, and and for no reason, and they and they the teachers tell you over and over like this is how it'll be in college, this is how it'll be it's in college. Not. We're preparing you, but it's 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 just not They're like you're never liars. gonna be you're never gonna be asked like to do the insane stuff you're asked to do at AP classes. It's wild. Oh yeah, I want to talk about just like calling out like people from your own race because I've been having this a lot of this uh, conversation, especially with like the BLM stuff because uh, mm. like I'm Filipino and I actually had this conversation with my dad mm. and I, he's always been like i've never could not pin him like he's like he hates trump but then he sometimes says racist shit <laughs> and mm-hmm. then when like the dnc happened and he was watching it and he was like uh yeah black people are just like violent i was like okay that's i was like okay this is when i have to do this uh, yeah. this is where i have to do the conversation now and yeah. i'm like dad that's racist i'm sorry that's racist it's like i'm not racist i'm just like oh that was kind of racist and then it's interesting because i've talked to my other filipino like elders and they're like it's interesting when they're like yeah the police were like going too far but also they also think the black people that get killed they're like kind of asking for it i was just like what that doesn't make sense i mean i guess they're like getting there i'm like okay you agree that the police are overreacting to or like they have excessive use of force but also you still think black people are inherently violent so all right you're kind of almost there and i'm like i don't know how do you even navigate that like i don't know i mean like i i'm kind of like get, i'm like i have to speak up first but like you know they're my elders i'm just like just like really intricate and like weird. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of inner interracial um racism, right? Mm-hmm. Where uh, yeah. you know, we notice it a lot where you know we all sort of in those classes, in those races, all sort of have racism against each other, right? Mm-hmm. So there's yeah. you know, so people will say negative things about Asians or immigrants or, you know, black people. And it sort of kind of goes in this thing. And and I've noticed it a lot too. There, sometimes there's an inherent respect for law enforcement um, cultures, but I think is a cultural thing that you have to try to unpack um, because we've seen it a lot that, you know, you were raised to respect the police. And even if they're beating and killing you, right. You're supposed to, them because maybe you've done something wrong um, because they're beating you, right? And so some yeah. culture, I mean, it's silly to say, right? But it really is like an internalized thing that has happened generationally where mm-hmm. internalizing that like colonizing behavior that if a, a white wealthy cop is beating the crap out of you, you must have done something wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's where we have to sort of unpack those cultural biases that we have within our own, you know, races that, that start doing that kind of thing. And then we have to unpack and say, well, dad, do you think that, you know, whatever the stereotypes for Filipinos are, right? Because yeah. I'm sure there are some and there I can't think off the top of my head, but well, do you think those are true? Or do you mm-hmm. think that the media and, and, and people in general have, have, painted an ugly picture of Jewish people, of Filipinos, you know, whatever those stereotypes are and say that same sort of narrative has been used against black people, but on a much larger scale, on a much more traumatizing scale, on a deeper 400 years of, you know, and, and yeah. it's hard because those are going to be multiple conversations yeah. that you're going to have. Yep. Because 
your dad, this is what I tell people because it's your dad. You're going to probably put a little more emotional energy into that because you really love and adore him and would like to hopefully get him on a, a better path at some time. Sometimes I don't want to have that conversation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's some days I don't have the energy for it, to be honest. I mean, I have to be honest enough to say I have three black children. I'm a mom first. So sometimes mm. in these conversations, I get really heated because you're talking about my children. And mm. so I, sometimes I have to say, yes, I'm an activist and an organizer, but I'm also a mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, and, and, we wanted to yeah. ask you about because your daughter, uh, Imani. Uh-huh. Yeah, there was that LA Times article that mm-hmm. uh, came out. How did you feel when you heard about that? When like oh. when you heard, like <laughs> did, she called you, right? And I'm like, yeah, so it must know, have been intense. Uh, intense is a good word. Um, I, you know, my kids have always kind of let me be the forefront of, of the activism and the organizing. And I've sort of put myself in the front and protected them a little bit from going out and doing this sort of thing because I'm scared for them, right? You mm-hmm. don't want to put your children in the front. Um, and so I know that being who I am, less likely for me to be attacked by the police than them, right? So I've tried to hold them them aside. But you know, our kids are kids and they get older. And my my daughter said, I want to go, mom. There's a pro there's been protesting in front of the White House. Um, it's been really peaceful and and we want to go. And I was like, All right, honey, well, you need to be really careful, make sure we have your location, and then you need to write my phone number on your arm. And she's like, What? You know, and this is one probably one of the first times she listens to me because I hope they respect enough that I I've been to enough protests, you know, that you should listen to your mother at this point. Um, you know, they, they kind of dismiss a lot of me because I'm just mom, but I yeah. try to tell them. I do kind of know what I'm talking about. So I have her write it on and she goes and I'm checking in with her, checking in with her and I'm at work and I get a call from a DC number to my phone. And I thought, Hmm, you know, you don't answer all the phone numbers that aren't, yep, but it's yep. DC. So I answer and the guy says, um, your daughter's been attacked by the police. Oh, wow. And I think my like heart, you know, as a mom, like I just said, my heart was in my stomach. I could feel my neck closing in and like my mouth was dry and my heart starts beating really fast. And I'm just like in panic. And I'm like, is she okay? And he said, yeah. I said, what, what happened? And he said, we're trying to, to clean her eyes out. She's been hit by tear gas. And I said, she has contacts, take out her contacts because, you know, it doesn't work with, you know, Mm -hmm. And so he's like, yeah, okay, we got it. We got it. Um, She had your number written on her arm. She can't look at her phone now. As soon as she's safe, I'll have her call you. But she's okay. I won't leave her. And I was like, okay, hang up. Call her brothers, you know? And I'm like, what? I I was ready to hop a plane, you guys. Literally, (laughs) I was about to look for the, like, Malik and I were looking for flights. Like, we were like, we're just about to hop flights. I don't know what we're going to do when we get there, but like, (laughs) freaking upset right now and and i think so she ends up facetiming me she's been hit by rubber bullets um she has i think about six uh wounds on her body that she sent me pictures of of that she's been tear gassed and her face and eyes are puffy um she's been trampled because everybody's running and the cops are pushing and shooting and um and and it was really upsetting i was i was really hurt because you always think I fight for this because I know it's possible, but I don't ever want to think that it's going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when your kids are attacked by police um, and she's, you know, not that this makes it any better, but she's all of five, two and maybe a hundred pounds soaking wet. Uh, what part of her was so uh, such a threat to you that you needed yeah. to 
with six rubber bullets and tear gas is really um, what this country is all about. And that's why I fight is because that's disgusting and it shouldn't happen to anybody's kid, no matter what they look like and who they are. Um, and, and, and a few days went by and I didn't say anything on social media and I didn't post about it. This is her story, not mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw the press secretary for President Trump uh, lie in a press conference to the American people saying no tear gas was used and no bullets were used. Wow. And I will tell you, as a mother, I went through the fucking roof. I was like, I see the wounds on my daughter's body to tell me that you shot her. And so don't sit up here and tell me that you did not hurt her because it just infuriated me. And I called, I'm going to cry because it was just so emotional. You know, you just feel like, don't mm-hmm. tell me because I see her. I saw her pain. Um, and I call a reporter and I, you know, cause obviously I've done a few media, <laughs> media, um, things. And I, I called a reporter and I said, I, I think my daughter needs to tell her story. And I think you need to be the one to do it. The press secretary lied. Um, she was hit with tear gas and rubber bullets. And um, the way the the police acted was inhumane towards our own citizens. Um, and that's what happened. And so then she ended up telling her story and, um, and she's healing, but it was hard. It was definitely traumatic. Wow. Is she still in DC? Yes. Oh, I hope she's doing well now. I mean, that was kind of a while ago, but June June first. So. June first. Damn, I feel like my sense of time in quarantine has been insane. Well, yeah. I'm sorry that happened. I can't even imagine what you must have. Even after you described it, I can't even imagine like what that must have felt like. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I want to ask you about this. Well, let's move on to from a heavier, from a little bit lighter topic to your haters in town. (laughs) Your haters, there's this like, there's this blog that I just found out Googling your name. The blog. (laughs) I know the blog is like, I just want to like read some stuff here. Like, I like how it says Stacey Williams, Stacey Williams, Fresno disorganizer. And there's this like just unflattering picture of yourself. And then there's like, this is like a lot, like uh they just have a lot of screenshots and say you're like a marxist which is like telling like this is like some right winger that doesn't yeah. really know what do you marxism consider yourself a marxist just marxist for the record. progressive <laughs> um i don't i've never labeled myself as a marxist before so i'd have to do more research before I say that's what i am no, yeah, apparently you are yeah. apparently it says I mean, apparently yeah i mean apparently i mean i yeah i mean apparently yeah apparently i am i don't i've never claimed to be that but uh, apparently there's one there's a picture of you and Dari and it says with congressional candidate radical Dari and spelled misspelled Rizvani communist Dari Rizvani who lost like Stacey, like Stacey Williams did if Iranian Rizvani was not progressive would Stacey sit with them probably I don't know and then also you only support only Muslims that are Marxist progressive ideology of hate and violence Stacey herself has threatened to shut down city hall. <laughs> and there's so like, I feel like it, oh, I feel like women public figures uniquely draw these sort of insane oh, villain attacks. I, I want to ask about that. Like, what what's up with yeah, it? I, I appreciate you saying that because we do. I think that what it, I think is really sad is the um, insecure, uneducated, right wing evangelicals like Ben Burkwam and oh his my God, yeah. right now. Because I think he's behind the blog. Just so you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Probably, I, I believe it. 
when he started attacking me, that's when these blogs came up. So I had another blog. There was another one that was much more in depth than this one. There was 12 of them. I got it taken down because they called my kids the N word. Oh, Um, and I was able, so these are right wing evangelical white supremacists like Ben Burkwam, Eddie Block and their crew that like to attack women. They really do. They don't Mm. attack men a lot. I mean, they didn't write a blog about Dari and I'm sure he's done just as much as stuff as I do, but, but woman, you know, in our community, women get attacked a lot. And, and what I think is really sad is they, on the previous one, they also posted my home address. This one, I don't see it yet, but they will, they'll post my home address again. So they basically called a dog whistle for these white supremacists to attack me and my children and, and, and posted my home address to dox me so that people would come to my home and attack me. These are the kind of people that we're dealing with when you talk out against racism in Fresno. Mm -hmm. Fresno um, has a white elite establishment of people that hate what I do. They do not Mm -hmm. like me calling out this stuff. And so now they've decided that they would fixate on me, uh, try to diminish everything I'm doing. Um, The blog that they had before was done in May and June and finally got it taken down because they had posted my home address and called my kids the N word, which was hate speech. Uh, But it's hard to track these people down because they use subdomains and blogs and they try to find whatever they can can and twist it and turn it around. I think that doxing a a woman um, Mm -hmm. and coming after her black children um, and saying some really awful things and twisting everything, it really just shows how scared they are of progress, how scared they are of me. how scared they are of white people standing up for this kind of stuff, right? They don't like that. Um, in one post in the last blog, because I haven't read through this one again yet, uh, they say how I'm beautiful, and then they post <laughs> other pictures, and then they talk about my nails getting done, but then they say I'm poor and I don't have money to do anything, but then I get my hair done. And so they go back and forth, like with. <laughs> uneducated mm-hmm. like if you read it most of their sentences don't aren't spelled correctly yep. their grammar they're is not awful. Yeah. They, they're really not an educated sort of people and so I think they thought that this would scare me and to be honest when I first saw the blog and it, it came out and posted my children I said to the kids are you guys okay do you feel safe and what do we need to do if you want me to stop I'll stop and my kids said no mom you keep doing what you do Aww. and so now I said you know what I'm running for office <laughs> like you can post all the blogs you want. You can post my home address. You can be that insecure and weak-minded to come against a woman and then tell me that I love Muslims. I love black people. I love immigrants. I love felons. I mean, they just go on on the last blog. I haven't had a chance to read through this yeah, one. Yeah, this one is so funny. I mean, I, I, you know, you know, just to make you feel better, this is on a Blogspot account. Um, <laughs> I think Ram and I have brought more traffic to this than it has had since it was created. And it looks but like it's July. Like, no, but it's the poster from July or the newest poster from July. It looks like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So honestly, I don't. I obviously doxing is like horrible, wretched. Yeah. Don't do it. Um, I mean, they, they gained they gained the Google algorithm a little bit because it's like in the first result. Well, it's not the first result. It's like the Tenth one, but it's in the front page of like the uh, when you, uh, when you well, well, I put when I Google Stacey Williams Fresno, uh-huh. yeah. uh huh, that's like the tenth one. I was like, okay, so they're obviously trying to like do a disinformation campaign. But if I look at this and I'm like, yeah, this is fake, but it's <laughs> I like this one. It says, so Stacey Williams can have a half black family, but Jim Patterson can have a blended family. What the fuck does blended family mean? There's one <laughs> person of color in this picture. 
They're stretching so hard to say that a Republican has a brown person in the in the picture that they like really try hard to like stretch yeah. it, right? Yeah, you could have your half black family, but he can't have one brown person in this picture. What the heck? I mean, when you start to read through it, I mean, and at first I was hurt, to be honest, I was yeah. really hurt when I first read it. I was like, wow, you know, it like it really hit me. Yeah. And then when I started reading through it and I start, I just thought this is really the best you guys have at this point. Like, I mean, come on, like yeah. this, this is not really an educated attack. Most of my stuff is public and it's true. And I didn't I didn't make it private since then. Somebody mm-hmm. said you should make your stuff private. I said, I'm not running from them. I'm not I'm going to run for office. I'm keeping my posts up. I'm still going to do interviews. And and come at me if you want. Ben Berkwam and his crew are just minuscule little insecure men who run around as guns because they're scared of women like me that talk about racism. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, like it's ridiculous. Also, not and not just that these posts are from July, all of these ideas are old. Like they have black on black crime. They have oh, more yeah. black people are killed by abortion than cops. They have Marxist ideology that pe- black people have to think like you do. It. All this stuff is from like the nineties. <laughs> it's all the oldest attacks imaginable. Shit, please, yeah, please get some new material, please. Yeah, and if they were coming at me with some real legitimate stuff, I would think it would be worth like you know disproving or talking about. But I didn't even bring the last blog up on my social media. I never shared it because I didn't even think it was worth them getting hits or likes or or any attention because I thought it was just so poorly done. You know, yeah, they're yeah. just. Yeah. And, and so they're going to keep coming after me and, and I'm not running away. So if they think that these blogs are going to hurt me somehow, most of my friends and, and advocates and people that are allies with me, look at this and go, great, Stace. Thanks. Yeah, dude, I want, I want haters like this. I want them. <laughs> you want to get about you? Yeah, we can't wait till the first five by five nine hater blog. Oh, yeah. pops honestly, up. yeah, that means that means you're doing something right. It's just like yeah, honestly, the, if they're if they're saying that you're a Marxist who gets her nails done, that means you're on the right path. Yeah, interesting. They really have a problem with how I look. It's really funny. You guys didn't see the last one, but they would talk about my jewelry or me going to the beach and that I'm pretty. And like for some reason, they have a real problem with me. Like. Looking the way I do and yeah. fighting for these things because they kept like fixating on it a lot. It was really quite yeah, It's because everyone the writers, well, all them, are, well, and all them are agos. <laughs> I, I think that's part of their their jealousy, right? Is I think some of them get really upset because I look at these white men and I'm like, ugh. Like, what? I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying the left. We got we got we got more attractive people. I we mean, got, just look at the roster on our podcast. We got the, the hunks and babes everywhere. <laughs> Oh, on the on the left, you know, Dari, you know, right? Stacey, we all got <coughs> we all got a hotties on our side. David can jealous. do a handstand. Yeah, like dude. honestly. <laughs> See, David, all of yeah. us, they're just jealous. They're ugly. They are so <laughs> jealous. Ugly yeah. on the inside and out. So I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> and we we're we're a little bit running out of time, but there's some like oh, rapid damn. fire ones I want to ask a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh standardized testing. Thoughts? Yeah, thoughts uh, bad, good. Bad. <laughs> Bad. Bad. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Period. That's, that's okay. It. Uh, charter schools. Bad. Bad. Um, okay. <laughs> I know this. So I went to Central. How are you going to fix that place? <laughs> Oh gosh! Yeah, can't do rapid fire that one. You guys are gonna have to call me on for another podcast. You're that, I can't believe we already it was like an hour because that's how I felt like I didn't feel that long. Flew by. Also, you guys just have to add me back like for part two, Stacey Williams, because 
there's like needs we could do this for a whole nother hour trust no, me guys delve deep into it yet here's my last question mm-hmm. are we still gonna are we still, <laughs> is milk still gonna be served at lunch <laughs> and also bags <laughs> Wait, bag. bag. okay but i'm just saying this because i was like remembering like lunch at school and i'm like mm-hmm. why did they feed us pizza with milk i have i haven't had that combo since i left school because like that's kind of a fucked up combo it's disgusting it's like it's not a good like also i'm lactose intolerant like were they trying to kill me i was just gonna say that and the dairy industry is gonna hate me but milk is going out especially cow milk i mean we should not cow milk that dude yeah cow milk is not good they really tried to force that on (laughs) they really tried to put us on milk and i'm like sorry guys i I just read the story today that all the dairy companies are buying up all the oat companies or they're starting Uh, their own oat milk brands so yeah i I think you're uh, right like dairy from cows is like put that in your platform stacy oat milk in classrooms Yeah. Almond yeah. milk in classrooms. Yeah. Oh no. We're gonna we're gonna change it all. Trust me. We're gonna change it. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank that you. was yeah. a great part. Tell the people where they can find you, yeah, how they can vote you. for you, where they can support your campaign. Yep. Okay, so please please go to votestacy.com, V-O-T-E-S-T-A-C-Y.com. You can donate, you can volunteer, phone bank. We're canvassing every weekend. So if you want to get involved, even if you don't live in my district. Um, you can still help and get involved by donating time, money, or skills because I take them all. Oh wait, you're 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 canvassing now? Is it like socially distant oh, yeah. all that stuff? I, I don't even know how canvassing works now <laughs> I mean, in the COVID no, era. We have no idea. <laughs> so I've been canvassing. We've asked everybody how they feel. People are really supportive. You keep set, six feet away. You you knock or ring a doorbell. You step away. You have hand sanitizer. Mm. You have a mask. You have gloves. Anything. You you hand them the material. You talk to them from six feet or behind their door, like or their screen door. And mm. everybody's been really awesome. They've huh. been excited that I'm out having conversations with them. Um, they're really happy and and interactive. And so I haven't had any negative. I think we did a poll and we only had maybe two people that didn't, that weren't happy that we we're out for COVID. Um, everybody else has been really supportive. Oh, nice. so. Dude, I want to canvas so bad. Oh, you, know, like, you can come. We're not going every, every Saturday. <laughs> All right, all right. I'll I wish I could. I wish I could vote for you, but I don't live in. I don't think I, I live in that area anymore. But well, you can help canvas with me. You can come out one yeah. Saturday and knock on doors with me. I'm yeah. absolutely down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you would be the first person I've ever canvassed for, actually. Which would be Yay! crazy. See, we have yeah. to get more people canvassing. I yeah. just had my nieces. Uh, one is 16 and one is 13. They were out canvassing with us Saturday, and they were like, "This is actually kind of cool." And the one girl texted her friends and was like, "Can we do this next weekend?" <laughs> and I was like, "I'm about to get." youth knocking on doors they're like this is actually kind of fun i love no, that. I well, that. i'm done with phone banking i'm like over it i'm like yeah. i can't take it anymore we can talk about that <laughs> off pod but listen uh you've been listening to the five by five nine podcast sponsored by the five by five nine newsletter which you can subscribe to on five by five nine dot com you can also follow us on instagram and twitter at five by five nine um i'm tommy tribble you can follow me at t-o-m-i-i writes um i'm yeah you can follow me ram on twitter at vibes radiator i should probably change that at some point but i like vibes radiator i, I like yeah, it yeah i'm just gonna it's vibes anyways uh yeah subscribe to the newsletter and, and share the podcast and share review the podcast, it share it to somebody who lives in the district i don't even know yeah. how to do that <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm uh, yeah tar- we do some targeted ads, people in there. But thank you so much, Stacey Williams, for being on the yeah, podcast. This was 
a delightful conversation. I'm glad I enjoyed it too. Thanks so much, you guys. And and I, I'll be happy to come back if you want me. Oh, Any yeah. hot topics that come up, we can we oh, can do that. I love. Yes, it. See, please. we we have a dream: repeating guests. We're we're working yeah, our way yeah. to that one. As soon as we made the like, we're just collecting we the can roster. We get a better Sunday morning matters because Sunday morning matters is matters is crap. Have you ever seen that? Oh it's yeah, no, I've seen Sunday it. Morning. I've seen it. We should have a more progressive, like real, like Sunday morning matters conversation, and you guys can invite people, so, and we could actually say the real deal. Dude. That so, was the original pitch for this podcast was going to be like us and a guest, like going over the yeah, news, yeah, but well, we've shifted to the of, interview format. We're kind of so. like introducing the cast he's like these yeah. are all the people that will be on this frequently and we'll yeah. just ask you guys to come on if you guys want to but yeah all right well thanks That's so it. much and we're gonna say goodbye to the audience bye audience bye audience, bye, audience. Bye, audience. see you later bye.